but there's nothing here for me. It's, that's not so. What we see with the deacons, what they were simply to be, were spirit-filled servants. And we should all strive um, to, as we read some of the qualifications of a deacon, some of the role of a deacon, that that should be things that we as Christians should be involved in, in as far as being faithful, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, um, being involved in service in the ministry of the church. Um, in 1 Timothy, and when we go back there, it talks about let the deacons first prove themselves um, that before they're even to hold the office of a deacon, that they're basically being servant um, leaders in the church, that they're already proving um, themselves. You know, you think about, okay, my son wants to be a pilot. Um, I'm glad they don't just throw him in the first day he goes in and give him the controls and then they disband. He needs to first prove himself to learn um, how to be a pilot, the ins and the outs, and get that experience, that instruction, that training. And then once he's proven himself, then he can become certified or licensed as a pilot. And similarly, like, you know what, for the role of a deacon, that there should be things that we're already living um, in the Lord. Um, many times the um, Greek word diakonos, the word used for deacon, it applies to Christians in general um, throughout um, the New Testament. And so um, in Acts chapter 6, what we see going on is the disciples were starting to multiply. That the church in Jerusalem was beginning to grow. People were starting to place their faith in the resurrected Christ, uh, and, and the church was growing. And you notice the church grows, there's multiple other types of needs. You know, there's people that are maybe needing to get some counseling, maybe people struggling in their marriage and, and needing help in, in that aspect. Um, uh, as people get saved, they know friends and family members that they want to get saved, and they could be talking to the pastors or others in the church and asking them, about, hey, could you come and tell them about this? And, and there's financial needs that sometimes arise. There could be saints that are in a little bit of poverty. They're, they're going through some financial difficulties. Um, for example, a widow um, who loses the, um, their husband. Well, I guess you're a woman that loses your husband, you become a widow. Okay? And, and so um, then there's financial difficulties and you know, I don't know for sure, but you know, the likelihood maybe they didn't have insurance like we have today as far as life insurance. I don't know why they call it life insurance, it's like death insurance, but you don't all come back alive either. So I don't, I don't know why you call it life insurance. But um, but it sounds right, you gotta market it, right? They gotta um, sell it, and it doesn't sound as good calling it death insurance. But um, we have some widows here wouldn't have a need. And the church, you know, being a community of compassion, would um, strive to take care of these needs. And the pastors, the elders, um, the apostles here, they're doing all they can to help take care of these needs. But there became this murmuring going about um, the um, Grecians against the Hebrews. Um, 
um, the, the, the Greek widows were being neglected in the day of administration, that they had set up this process where they were taking care of the widows that had needs, but there was this group of widows that were neglected. And they felt like it was um, because of, of their ethnicity. Uh, and you remember, you know, there was still like between the Jews and the Greeks a little bit of a ho hostility um, between one another. The Jews saw them as pagans and as heathens, but now all of a sudden these pagans and heathens, they're getting saved. They're coming to know Jesus Christ is their own Savior. But they were being neglected um, here. And we see the twelve called a multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Okay, so they've been busy about this ministry, but they say, you know, it does not make sense. It is, it is not of the most efficient use of our time is the pastors to be every day focusing on bringing funds or helping with their homes, um, putting gutters or whatever they maybe did back then, um, uh, like whatever they needed help with. They're like, it does not make sense for us to be focused all of our attention on that, that we have a church. And what's going on, Azrael? And then, so, so they're, they're, they have um, this issue that has a legitimate need. You know, it's a church. We don't want to just overlook people that are going um, through different struggles. You know, we want, James talks about um, how, how, what kind of Christian basically are we if we see somebody that's in need, um, that's destitute, and we're just like, oh, we pray for you, go away, be warm and fuzzy. And we don't do anything ourselves. And so the apostles were not saying this was a need that was useless, that this is something that we shouldn't do as a church. That's not what they were saying. But here they were, and they had witnessed the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus sent them out um, to be evangelists, to, to, to start churches, to shepherd um, churches. And that was their focus to be. And, and so here they're saying, it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. That we have a responsibility to proclaim God's Word to the people. That is not just on Sundays. You notice the Bible says daily, house from, to house, and in the temple. They were teach, ceasing not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. That that's what they were busy about doing. And while they were supposed to be doing that, there's all these other needs in the church going on. And they're like, hey, here's people over here that need to get saved, need to know the Lord. They're, they're, they're right. They're, they're ready to receive it. But there's all these other ministries pulling us away. They say, it is not reason for us to leave the Word of God, to proclaim it, to teach it, to focus on going to the widows' homes. 
Now they didn't say as we read on that this was not important. But they said, for us, our calling, what God has called us to do, there is something way more important for us to focus on. But in managing and overseeing the church, they're saying, hey, you know what? We do have to deal with this. It says, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Okay, so he says, okay, select amongst the church. Seven men. We need about seven men that can tend to this. Now, they also need to be spiritual. They need to be godly men. They need to have an honest report. Why do they need to be an honest report? Well, this is common decency to have to have honesty, but it may be emphasized because, you know, it'd be involving financially taking care of the widows. Okay, they didn't want any kind of fraud or like they're taking funds um, from behalf of the church to help the widows, and they're just using it on themselves. So it needs to be men of honest report, people that are full of the Holy Ghost, so people that are saved, they're walking in the Spirit of God, and, and, and they're full of wisdom. That these men are seen by the church as men that have great wisdom, that they're able to be discerning. That there could be some things that are brought up that are not necessarily really a need, but is rather maybe simply enabling something. You know, someone in a church may say, you know, it's a widow, but just anyone say, hey, you know, we have this need, but they're just trying to take advantage of churches. And there's people that do that, people that never go to church in their life, they, um, now they go online, but um, before you always go for the yellow pages, and they call churches and go, hey, you know, I'm desperate, my husband just left me, I, I, I need to pay the electric bill, and uh, all those things, and there maybe was never a husband in the first place, um, or at least for a long time, but they, um, they um, just try to call one church, and then they call another church, then they call it call a different church. Now, I remember going and someone saying they needed um, gas. And I was going with the other assistant pastor at the time. And so usually if the church had a policy, it's come Sunday and the deacons will meet with you. And usually people would say, oh, I can't make it in church on Sunday. Um, my car's broke down. And so we'd offer like, hey, you know, we could... Um, pick you up, we'll get someone to bring you here on church Sunday, and you have another excuse. And so I all know, you know, I'm just not good enough or I'm not going to be able to do it. Well, if the need was urgent, they're going to be able to find a way to be there. If a church is offered help, or potentially going to be given help, and this is a real crisis emergency, they'll be able to meet it. So the church sometimes ruled out um, many of those needs that way. It doesn't mean they always did it way, that way because we know we went to go fill this person up with gas and she just comes out at the convenience store with a giant coffee and a brand new pack of cigarettes. It's, obviously, she could have put that in to get gas instead. And so he, he mentioned it to her. He goes, you know what? I'm going to fill you up with gas 
because we promised you we would. But he said, but don't call us again. Here you're coming out, fresh cup of coffee uh, and, and cigarettes. This could have at least went to gas. And this was like 15 years ago where, you know, it would actually be able to buy a gallon of gas. And, you know, it changes now. But um, sometimes the needs aren't what they're projected to be. And so this works maybe to be discerning to be able to kind of see what, what the need is. And, and he says that we made a point over this business, that that was the particular business that was needed at the time to help put away the murmur in here and help these widows. And then the pastors could be focused on what they're called to do as far as in preaching and proclaiming the word of God. And he says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That this is what we are going to focus on. Not that the other is not important, but it's important for people to fulfill the calling God has in their life. To, to follow um, them. And it says in the saying, it pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicander, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and Prosoite, and Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. They said, okay, here's seven men that we've prayed about. We could, um, I believe they probably even fasted about it, likely. And they, but they prayed for them, and they laid their hands on them. And, and, and so these people to go and take care of these responsibilities. And what was the result? And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And so the pastors put this in place, go, hey, here's the need. We can't focus all our time on it, but we need men to take care of this need. And that happened, they pleased the people, they chose the men, they got, they got involved, and what happens? The word of God increased. That they were able to get the word of God out to more people, and more people got saved. That people were even converting from their religion of Judaism, religious leaders. Religious leaders, uh, perhaps Pharisees, and uh, maybe Sadducees, but they're religious leaders, priests. That were getting saved. These were priests that did not know God. They claimed to know God, to follow God, but they were stuck in the traps of Judaism of their own workspace merit for their salvation, trying to earn favor with God. Now they're getting saved. And so we see that's the result of it. Now I'm just going to go back and reprove some of it. Um, how is the word deacon used in the um, New Testament? Um, New Testament, New Testament uses three primary words to refer to the against Iconios, which means servant, Iconio, which means service, Iconio, which means to serve. If you're a Greek scholar, I understand my pronunciation is probably all the way off, um, but just pardon me. These are the words. You can see them, you can look them up, and you can pronounce them. Um, you would. But on the title deacon, today seems to have different connotations as there are churches that we still have deacons. In some churches, the deacons are the official board, 
the legally recognized manager body, other churches appoint almost everyone who's a regular attender, right? Okay, these people come regular, let's call it a deacon. Other churches is simply a badge of honor. Um, and so the ministry of a deacon is so different from church to church that when a person says he is a deacon, you usually have to ask several questions to find out if what, if anything, he actually does. Okay, so some people, they have the title deacon, but they're not fulfilling any type of role of a deacon. And um, with there being different responsibilities of a deacon, part of it makes sense, is we'll get to it, but part of it is sometimes people are having deacons that are not even fulfilling the scripturally um, duty of a deacon. Some um, view the deacon as these are um, the ones that leave the church and the pastor is simply an employee teacher of the church and sometimes even the deacons tell the pastor what to teach and preach on. That's not biblical. And here we see this was the pastor saying, hey, we need seven men on this report of the Holy Ghost for this task so we can focus on this. So it's not of how those are to it, but there is some liberty in what the responsibility of what a deacon would do. And I will skip to that. But we see the original use of this group of words. These three words seem to have been specific, meaning the service of waiting on tables or serving people food, but have broadened beyond that to come to mean any kind of service. Um, in Matthew 22, 13, for example, it says, David said the king to the servants, and the Greek word for service there is diakonos, the same word that we get deacon for. Um, and um, in 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, it's said Timotheus, our brother and minister, um, that's another word for servant, and it comes from the word diakonos, of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. And so along the beginning, it meant to be like a waiter, a server, and that's where the apostles were like, it doesn't make reason, doesn't make sense for us to go and wait and serve tables when it means we're not being able to give the word of God. Okay, so that was kind of the beginning of it, and then we see that kind of evolves into being a servant um, in many different ways. Uh, means servant. Doesn't mean ruler over there. They're there to serve the church family. And I know the office of deacon is not primary a position of authority. It does not mean they never exercise authority. They would possess delegated authority. And so they, they could have oversight. You know, a church pastor, they may appoint someone to, say, oversee the children's ministry. And that's how he's serving in there. So they could have authority, they could have oversight. It's just the word itself simply means to serve the minister. Now, with the office of bishop, we talked last week, it specifies it means to rule, to lead. But even then, a pastor was what? Not to lord over God's heritage. And the word minister, which we often call pastors a minister, means the pastors to be a servant as well. And so it's not like the service of a deacon is simply to serve the pastor is the king, but rather to serve the church so the pastor can be focused on preaching the word of God. Now we see deacons scripturally are burden bearers and 
Um, this isn't talking about if you can hear the Old Testament, but I believe we can see some parallels to the ministry of Aaron and her here. And as it says, and it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took his stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and her stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And then they ended up prevailing. This was a miracle that God was using. It appears to illustrate that Herod, he had two men holding his arms up, and then they got the victory. That there were supportive men there to help the man of God here, and God gave the victory to them when they had that type of unity. None of them were trying to strive at this time to seek the recognition or um, to just to be seen of men, but they were there to help, to assist. And the deacon, likewise, a bare loads of ministry is requested by the pastor. It's the Bible says, whom we may appoint over this business. Um, one of the things, um, the reason they were being called was why the Grecians were murmuring against the other widows and about their own needs not being met. And so you can say they were thrown a little bit entitled, but there was happening to be some partiality. The Bible does say not to have respect of persons that, uh, by partiality that was administered um, to all. But so what was part of the responsibility of the deacons was to put away the murmur. You know, unless, okay, there's maybe the legitimate need here. Let's get us all so there's no murmuring. Sometimes it's something where it's just gossip. The deacons are there to try to help squash the gossip, to help give clarity. Um, it says there arose a murmuring of the priests in Hebrews because the widows were divided daily administration. So they were appointed to help take care of this. Ensure that the preacher's primary ministry flows smoothly. Twelve disciples called a multitude of disciples and them say it's not reason that we should leave the word of God on certain tables. And so it was to increase the efficiency of the overall function of the church. I'm going to go pretty quick for some of this because some of it's just review of what I just said. Um, here's from our um, statement of faith or our, our bylaws on the session about deacons. It says the board of deacons shall assist the pastor in such manner as he shall request in promoting the spiritual welfare of the church, in conducting the religious services, and in performing all other work of the church. They shall make provision for the observance of the ordinances of the church. They shall, if requested by the pastor, consider applications for a church um, membership. They shall assist the pastor in visitation and all other evangelistic efforts of the church. And now scripture itself it's pretty vague about the specifics of what deacons are to do. Okay, we see in Acts 6, um, the deacons there. Um, we see a particular task that they were given there, um, but that was, um, 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 that was descriptive rather than prescriptive as far as saying this is what the need is going to be in every church. Um, as far as I know, I don't think we have any widows indeed in our church. 
Um, um, the Bible, we will get to it later in another message. A widow indeed, it was above a certain age, had been with um, one man her whole life, doesn't have any family um, to help support them. Um, we did at a time almost have some of them, Norma Baker, faithful widow in the church, um, and um, but she had family, she had her sons, and that's where the Bible says, okay, let not the church be charged they, if they have family there to take the need. That, you know, the church is the um, primary help those that really are destitute, that really have a need. And her son took care of her, but if he wasn't around, if he wasn't there, then that's where we would have been responsible to um, try to help take care of her in those needs. Um, so, scriptures have always been about the specifics of what deacons are to do, but we do read a lot about what qualifies a man to be a deacon, but again, little about how deacons are to minister in the local church. Um, this itself teaches as much, I believe, about God's view of church leadership, that what a man is, is the main priority more than what he does. Um, we'll um, get to that again a little bit. But deacons serve under the leadership of the elders, helping them exercise the oversight in the practical matters of church life. And again, Scripture defines no official or specific responsibilities for deacons, but they help relieve the pastor so he can tend primary to the spiritual matters of the flock. Continuing in the statement of faith, bylaws, they shall provide the pulpit supply and act as leaders for church meetings of the office of pastor is vacant. So if there's no pastor, it says for the deacons to do this. One thing now, scripturally, the Bible does not say a deacon needs to be a preacher or a teacher. Okay? Um, for a pastor, it says a pastor it must be apt to teach. Okay? A pastor must be able to teach. When it gives you qualifications of a deacon, it does not say a deacon must be apt to teach. Why would that be the case? Well, again, what's the primary function, okay? The pastor is to teach and to preach, and the deacons are being called, chosen, to help with the physical needs. Not necessarily the spiritual needs in the teaching ministry, but as far as the physical needs. Now, this does not mean that the deacons can't teach. We see is Stephen, filled with the Holy Ghost. He's chosen as a deacon. He goes, and he's also preaching. So a deacon very well can preach, it's just not required scripturally for them to do so. But some of them will be able to, and so sometimes they'll fill that role when the pastor's absent, or fill in when he's on vacation, or out of town preaching somewhere else, so deacons can be involved in that. Um, the board of deacons shall assist the pastor in caring for the administrative needs of the church's various ministries, as requested by the pastor. But again, we see okay, in Acts 6, what was important about for the deacons was his walk with God. In verse 3, we see he must be full of the Holy Ghost. In verse 5, we see that Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. This is a spiritual man. You know, the Bible says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So he was full of faith. You know, holding the mystery of faith and a pure conscience. That, that um, is what Timothy says, but we see this one in Acts is filled with faith, full of faith. Um, a man full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost. 
We've seen his character uh, was to be upon this report. And one of the greatest temptations that comes to any leader is the temptation to tell something less than the truth when it's not convenient. We see they were to be full of wisdom. Now go to 1 Timothy 3, 8, and then we'll see again that what a man is, is the main priority more than what he does. And that's what we want. Look at ourselves as a Christian. You know, you, you know we see during this, um, this pride month, Right, don't be for destruction of the Holy Spirit before a fall. But um, the thing with pride in it, but they put all their identity in their sexual identity. And it's all it's all demonic. You know, you notice this those people that are often used to saying, you know what, um, their pronouns are um, they them for one person. You read in the Bible, the only ones that do that were demons. That the, um, that the demons spoke to themselves as in plurality and stuff. Um, I don't have the scripture with me right now, but I can get it to you later. But um, the demons refer to themselves as they, them, to we are legion. And so it's a, a demonic influence. But they put all their identity in their sexual orientation. You know, I never, okay, I'm never going around telling people, hey man, I'm a straight dude. I'm a heterosexual, heterosexual pride. It's like, why would someone put all their identity in that? You know, our identity should be in Christ. That, that, you know, it's more important on who we are is a man or a woman than even really the things that we do. Now, the things that we are to do are sinful, then yeah, we are to abstain um, from that. Um, by AD 64, um, it's about when 1 Timothy was likely written, and um, the church had developed to the point um, um, it came to the point where the church developed where they were developing spiritual qualifications for church leaders um, to be specific yet the instructions for organization are still quite limited and that's likely by divine designs again there is great flexibility in individual church organizations because God knew the situations and needs of different local churches and different cultures would be different. And so that's why I believe the Bible doesn't specify deacons must do this and that. What we're showing the case is the need of the church arises, they can be appointed to that. The biblical emphasis is not on the organization, but on the leader's purity and spiritual depth. And what a man is, is the main priority more than what he does. And so we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not giving too much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. And so we see um, there to be great, and you know, there to be serious people that, 
that. They need to um, be responsible. Um, this does not mean brave like they're to be dead in their personality. Okay? It's not what it means, but they need to take the office of their role seriously, um, not double tongue. That are not saying one thing to one person and then backbiting them to somebody else. That they need to be through that, that they're speaking with unity and, and with kindness and, and not backstep. We see for not to be given to much wine, that, that their life should not be one where people look at them and they're a drunkard. That that should not be their testimony. That they need to be someone that is able to be of sober mind. You get the Bible says wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And, and so someone that is able to be sober-minded and not a drunkard, not greedy or filthy, lucre. Okay, that money is not the end goal in life, that, that they're not so focused on that, that they get so addicted to money, for example, that um, when they go to the casino, they're just always wasting all their funds because they're just trying to get more and more and more. The Bible says, he that is easy to be rich shall not be innocent. That you're going to pay the price. That um, it's not simply through labor and maybe wise investing, but you're easy to get rich. Eventually, you're going to suffer the cost. That um, the focus is not to be filthy lucre. Again, these were people helping with financial needs of other people. So they were guilty of filthy lucre. They could be stealing the funds in part, keeping it um, for themselves instead of for the need. Um, 1 Timothy 6.17 says, um, but we'll preach this later, but it says, charge them that are rich in this world. Okay, it's not saying that if you're rich, you're evil. Okay, but it says so if they are rich, okay, that they be not high-minded. That they be not lifted up with pride over their achievements, over their wealth, nor trust in uncertain riches. Okay, someone that is wealthy, okay, they're probably not waking up the next day or waiting for the next paycheck whether and are we going to be able to pay our bills. And you can start to think of, hey, I'm self-sufficient. And here the Bible is telling us, don't put your trust in these riches. You may be blessed with the riches, but don't put your trust in the riches, but in the living God. If you're being blessed with wealth, give praise to the Lord. Thank Him for it, but understanding it could go away at any moment. You lose a job, you lose a class, anything could happen where it does not matter anymore. But it says, we trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things in joy. Okay, there's no shame in enjoying the wealth that God's given you. Okay, you don't need to feel guilty because God's blessed you with wealth. It's not what he's saying. He's just saying there are certain temptations that maybe are more prevalent when you do have a lot of love. And so he cautions them. And he says, challenges them that they do good, that they be rich in good works, and ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Talking about being willing to use their finances, not by force of the church, but it's just the church encouraging the wealthy be raised to help for different needs. 
in there. And so a deacon is to be someone that does look in the interests of others. The Bible talks about how the servant of the Lord, um, that we should esteem others better than ourselves. Looking in the needs of others. God will look at our needs. Okay? God will look at my needs. As I serve this church, my focus shouldn't be what could I, can I get the church to grow so I can get more money um, in my salary. It's the church supports me. That shouldn't be my focus. My focus would be, hey, God has uh, my needs taken care of, and I'm just to serve the church. It's God. His call on me to do so. To be blameless. This needs to be someone um, with a good testimony. Um, uh, Philippians again says, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. Okay, see here, we're not going to talk about pastors and deacons here. This is simply Christians to do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I may not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And so as Christians, our character and behavior is to basically be without this gossip, without these murmurings, without the disputings, to be blameless, to be harmless, representing Christ as the children of God. And so just like the deacons, um, and, or in some churches, deacons feel like their role is to be the complainer. But as we read earlier in Acts, they're the ones to help diffuse the complaining, the complaints. And sometimes they're legitimate needs. Sometimes the complaint is legitimate, but then we find a solution to it. Okay, we don't just mark that person as a complainer, so to speak, unless it is someone that is just a continual complainer, and that's what be discerning. Deacons, Bible says, says again, husband of one wife. Matthew Henry said this about this passage. He must be the husband of one wife, not having given the bill of divorce to one, and then taking another, or to have many wives at once, as he said before of the bishops or ministers. So here of the deacons, they must be the husband of one wife, such as had not put away their wives upon this light and married others. They must rule their children and their own house as well. The families of deacons should be examples to other families. Well, I didn't have it up there the whole time. Uh, the pulpit commentaries. If we consider the general laxity in regard to marriage and the facility of divorce, which prevailed among Jews and Romans at this time, it must have been a common thing for a man to have more than one woman living who had been his wife. And this is a distinct breach of criminal law. Would properly be a bar to anyone being called to the office of bishop. And then we see likewise in the scriptures of deacon. We see that he's to be ruling their children well. Okay, someone shouldn't be put in a position as pastor or deacon of their children are just completely unruly. Okay, if they're completely out of control. Okay, now does this have mean like hey, a five-year-old, okay, he's looking backwards instead of looking forward right now. Okay? That's not what the Bible is saying, like, oh no, he's looking the wrong way. Okay? So um, when we understand that pastor's child, deacon's children, they're going to be children 
like other children in the sense of that they're children, okay? Um, and so you can't put too high of an expectation in that, but generally speaking, you know, we are to look at their household, okay? Are their children generally subject to their parents? Do, do, do they listen? Do they take heed? Or are they all right wicked and just living immoral um, with their lives? So the, the, the ruling of their children well is important. Ruling their own houses well. Um, do they have a great relationship with their wife? It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. Okay? Okay? Doesn't mean that, hey, you, you saw a husband uh, look a little upset at his wife in the Walmart parking lot. Uh, because she's going in there to return things for the tenth time, okay? Uh, okay, so not talking about that, okay? But generally speaking, that you know what? If someone has the reputation of hollering, screaming at his wife um, in the parking lot, or even his wife screaming at him, well, they're not really the best candidate to serve as a role in the pastor or as a deacon. Uh, we see God puts the heavy importance in this. We see in 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, Samuel was um, a prophet, um, and we see, and the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, and which both the ears of everyone that hear of it shall tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli. Eli was the priest. Eli was one that was to be the man of God, to represent God to the people, not as God, but that he would go behind the bell, he'd be a priest for God, and represent the people to God, intercede for them. But God says, in that day I will perform against Eli, and all things which I have spoken concerning his house, when I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. Eli's sons were known to be evil, wicked men. And Eli did not try to restrain them. Now we do see in one instance in Scripture where he kind of gives the advice to his son and says, Oh, why do it so wickedly? Don't do this. But he was passive about it. It was like, oh, please don't do this. You know, you're hurting our family name. Instead of really being a father, challenging his sons and putting them in place and saying, no, this will not happen in our household. He restrained them not. And so his family was chastened because of it. Malachi 4, 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and to the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. This is something fulfilled in John the Baptist, that John the Baptist was in the power and in the spirit and power of Elijah, and that part of his role was to turn the father's heart back to the children. That's so easy it could be. Okay, the fathers go to work, the mother raises the children, but the father's heart isn't there with the children. They may barely know their children. And here God calls John the Baptist. He prophesies here 
um, about 400 years in advance. That John the Baptist's ministry would be about not only being a forerunner, of being the one that would say, prepare ye the way of the Lord for the Messiah. But he would be one whose ministry would be focused on turning the father's heart back to the children and the children to the father. You see, for ministry, the role of pastor, for deacon, for Christians, is for there to be the family in order. See, him to first be proved, proving themselves worthy of holding the office of deacon by serving as one without the position. One without um, the title. You know, we've had a bit in the past before where um, we'll get to the deacon's wife um, soon. Um, but um, where it's like, you know, my wife's not even a believer. I don't really feel like qualified as a deacon. And, um, and he stepped down um, of his um, own accord. But yet he served. He continued to serve as if he was a deacon without holding that position. That's where our attitude should be. Okay, you see David's heart? David was told by God that you cannot build the temple of God because you've been a man of war and I wanted to be a man of peace that builds. Instead of David just having a pity party, God won't use me in this role, what do you say? You know, I will prepare for it. He got the gold, the silver, he got the materials, he got all the preparation for it that his son would be able to build the temple. God wasn't going to use him to build it, but yet God used him greatly in the preparation for it. Deacon is not to be just great businessmen or well-known community leaders, but proven servants and spirit-filled men. They're not to be hastily chosen. Okay? It, it needs to be men that really did proven themselves. Um, 1 Timothy 5.17, we won't go um, there, but I'm going to read verse 22. Um, we'll be preaching that later in the future. But it says, Lay hands suddenly on no man, either be partaker of other men's sins, keep thyself pure. Now, you know, if we hastily put people in position, and it goes awry, that we're called to an account to some degree. Because we did not really, they haven't proven themselves and we did not truly pray over. You see about his wife in First um, Timothy, um, in, in verse of, chapter 3, verse 11. Even so must their wives be great, not slanderers. Sometimes there could be a man, man, he seems like a godly man, but his wife is a slanderer. Always slandering people in the church, whether it be different men or different women in the church. And man, the man might say, man, this is a great godly leader, but if the wife is clamorous and a slanderer, I say they're not going to be a good fit for this office. She's to be sober as well. Faithful in all things. And so we see the qualifications of a deacon's wife is just as important as the qualifications of the deacon himself. You know, the one thing a slander, uh, woman can slander about is like, oh man, there he is. He's going to go help that widow again or go help take care of that needle. What's the pastor doing? Just hanging out in his office studying. 
Okay? Well, I guess the negative thing would again, what's the pastor to be doing? Giving to the word. Okay? Great meaning worthy of respect and dignified. Now, does faithful in all things mean a believer? Okay, I, I, I had someone challenge me this years, years ago. Um, um, after the deacon resigned, um, and it wasn't me asking him to resign, he resigned saying, I don't believe um, I fulfill um, the qualifications of this because my wife's not saved. She's not a believer. That I'm not really able to use her in a function ministry role um, as me being as a deacon. And so this person said that the word for faithful is the Greek word pistos and means trustworthy, not necessarily a believer. And so she was trying to tell no, this person, you shouldn't have let him step down. And so, well, let's look it up. Pick any Greek tool you want. Okay, it means faithful, reliable. Okay, reliable would be the trustworthy part. But it also means believing, believe. You see how it's translated script, other scriptures, first time before 10. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Pistos. That's that word there. Again, first Timothy 4 12. Again, but be thou an example of the believers. Pistos. Okay? So the real understanding of a deacon's wife being faithful in all things, you know, it would include being a believer, being, being redeemed, being saved. Um, Timothy said, well, why is Paul writing these things about the pastors, about the deacons, that these things write and unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but by tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so this is why we're covering this stuff. You know, some of this stuff maybe seems a little dry, seems a little bit boring, it's this official stuff, but this is what the Bible is telling us is the church, how we're to operate, how we're to behave, what are God's expectations for servant leaders in the church. And what do we see again is the result of spirit-filled servants, and again, as I said this morning, don't look this ass as, hey, here's for deacons. Look at this as we all as Christians are to be spirit-filled. To be honest, man, honest woman. To be faithful in all things. To be a believer. To be brave. To be people that are able to be seen um, with dignity, with respect. To um, be people that are compassionate. People that are not greedy or filthy lucre, that, that our focus is just on the dollar. Again, the Bible says that a man will not work, neither shall he eat, okay? So the Bible teaches making provision, making finances um, to be able to take care of needs. But don't be greedy, okay? Don't let that be the heart. Don't put your trust in the riches either. That's a business thing for a Christian. So, you know, rule your household by. Don't be like, oh, that's only for the deacons and the pastors to rule their house well. No, every father should rule their household well. You know, single moms um, out there, maybe their husband left them or um, maybe passed away. You know, guiding and leading your home well is important. And what's the result when God's people are being faithful servants, whether they're called a deacon, hold the office of a deacon or not? We see. 
The result of Spirit-filled service is, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. That can happen in our churches. You know, if people are faithful servants, God could give the increase. We plant, we water, but trust God to give the increase as we're faithful to serve Him. Anybody have any questions? Anybody have questions over the past few weeks? Pastor, Deacon, all right, well, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. If you think of a question later, let me know um, next door. And we'll pray for the food we have over there as we um, celebrate um, Solomon's um, high school graduation. Dear Heavenly Father, I just um, thank you, Lord, um, for the message of your word. I know um, none of us are perfect, Lord. There's always areas I even see is the role as pastor, as a father, as a husband, to grow in and to, um, to learn in. May we never see like these lists of qualifications as a thing like something we can never meet, but something we could faithfully strive for in, in showing, Lord, and having. And Lord, just pray, Lord, that you would call and anoint me, Lord, within this church that someday would maybe be pastors or be chosen out to be deacons in the church. But may we all be faithful servants in your church. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you bless the celebration of the Psalmist graduation, um, like you like to do whenever someone graduates from high school here. We pray, Lord, that you would give him wisdom, give him discernment, um, help him keep his path narrowly following you, not to be led astray from the distractions that the world and the devil will try to throw his way, but may he continue to follow you, Christ. We ask you, Lord, to bless any food um, over this or in Jesus' name, amen.